can't imagine that. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. You did a great job. I appreciate that. As we, uh, we new name written down in glory, and I'm thankful for uh, for that fact as well as the fact that it it kind of goes along with what we're going to be uh, uh, talking about this morning as we look into the subject uh, that sin is defeated. And reading some verses to begin with from First uh, John uh, chapter three, and then go go uh, on from there. So I have the verses up on the screen if you want to uh, follow along, and then we'll uh, we'll continue. So uh, from First John chapter three, I think I backed up to verse two. Yep, verse two. John writes, "Dear friends, now we are children of God." And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who commits or continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And then verses, verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We give you praise because we know that there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh, yes, it's mine. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a living hope for our hearts and for our lives today. And, and we ask, Lord, your blessing on this message. And we give you praise and give you thanks for all this. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last week, we celebrated the empty tomb. And we're thankful for the fact that this is what it's all about. We, we, we worship at Christmas time that He came to be the sacrifice for our sin. He came to be an example for us in our lives today. A teacher in a preschool class one day was teaching the class about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. and She asked if anyone in the class knew what the angel said to the women when they came to the tomb looking for Jesus. One of the girls excitedly raised her hand and said, I know, I know. 
And so the teacher repeated, what did the angel say when they wanted to know where Jesus was? And the little girl responded very proudly, he is not here, he is in prison. <laughs> well, we know the fact that he's not in prison, he is risen, amen? And, and I, I love Easter, and we, we had all of the Easter lilies across the, uh, the, uh, the altar last week, and we had one lonely lily left, nobody here. So we watered it and took care of it for you, whoever this belongs to. We won't look when you come up and get it. You know. But we used it for a centerpiece today, but it's just a beautiful time of year, and we really enjoy that. Uh, because of the resurrection... Your sins are forgiven. Because of the resurrection, the grave did not hold him. And it's not going to hold us either as we have placed our trust and our faith in him. And you can, you can, you are able to know the power of Jesus in your daily life. Amen? And you can have a hope for your eternal destiny. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He paid the penalty for sin. When He died, He defeated Satan. And on the cross, He conquered our enemy on the cross. And as we think about the resurrection in relation to our sins, we, must, we need to recognize also that only because of the resurrection of Jesus can we have forgiveness for our past sins. So we look at the fact, the first one thing I want to do is look at the seriousness of sin. That God cannot be in the same place as sin. And we read the verses from 1 John, He who continues to sin is not of God. And as humans, we tend to take the truth of God. We take the truths that that God's Word has, and today, I don't know if it's been, always been like this, but we wrap it around what we're comfortable with. This is what we're comfortable with in saying. So we end up sometimes with, with a comfortable untruth. It's what we wind up with. Now there was a little boy explaining things to his younger sister. He says, Jesus' job was to die because we sinned. And he said to her, his little sister, our job is to sin to make it all worthwhile. And that's really what we read in Romans chapter 4 about grace abounds. And if we sin, keep on, that grace shall abound even more. And that, so this is not really anything new. I mean, it's something from, from, from that time that if grace, if grace is free and abounding, then, then if we, should we continue to sin? Should we sin even more? But we see, as we think about this and pray about this, and we've grown in our faith, the really this, the, the stupidity of that statement, but we miss the stupidity in other statements, such as some people, some churches believe that the virgin birth was only a symbol, that it really didn't happen. And we miss the reality, and it's been in the news lately, we miss the reality of hell, because we, we just think that that's just too uncomfortable to talk about, so we're not going to talk about it. But hell is a place of so fearful 
proportion that we can't even begin to understand. And there are many Christians out there, or so-called Christians today, who teach that there is no hell, that it too is a symbol. And that, that people are just separated from God. But what is it that's hell to be separated from God? Today, I want to talk about a subject as we, we talk about the seriousness of sin that many American churches like to avoid and uh, talk about the truth of your sin and the consequences of looking at sin correctly. We need to look at sin correctly and not try to build upon something that, that's not there. Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteousness, or upon the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And this is just one verse, but there are many verses that talk about the fact that God passionately loves those who love Him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But no matter how much He loves His creation, He still hates sin. Disobedience. And I think we as God's people need to be reminded uh, about something that most churches don't want to talk about, and that is the seriousness of sin. We, you know, man calls sin an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls sin a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls sin a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls sin fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls sin a luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls sin no big deal. God calls it the biggest of deals. Now when we, we think about this, our definition of sin is extremely important. What we think of as sin that He has he has forgiven us of or what we could do or, or what it is and how it, it could be taken care of or, 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 or forgiven is extremely important. And I love what Richard S. Taylor, uh, the uh, uh, Nazarene theologian, said about sin. He said, Sin as one doctrine of the Christian system is the common denominator of the other doctrine. And I want, to, I want to elaborate on that this morning because the, since the, the question of sin is so basic and how, that it is so basically related to the nature of God and it's basically related to the plan of redemption, it is the one doctrine where all other doctrines are built upon. That's where it starts. What is sin? The doctrines related, related to sin form the center around which we build our entire theological system. And as Christians, even as individual believers, if our conception of sin is wrong, then our whole thinking about God can be one error built 
on top of another. And if that is true, all of our beliefs, they have to fit together. They have to fit together or our whole belief system is wrong. And we cannot have a system of belief with a questionable foundation. I hope the bottom of your, in your basement, there's nothing that looks like that. Right, Chris? <clears throat> or it will collapse. We need to know exactly what sin is. And we need to know what God's pre provision for it is. Now, coming right after Easter is a perfect time because of the fact that, that Jesus rose from the dead. He was in there three days in the tomb. And, and then He was gone, a resurrected body. And the verses that we read from 1 John talk all about that. We, 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 we don't know what kind of body He had, but when we see Him, we shall be like Him. Now, because, let's, let's continue here, because someone's notion of sin is a bit off color, his entire trend of reasoning will be misdirected. You understand what I'm saying? The basis has got to be what is sin. And if someone has the wrong idea about what sin is, then his, he's building upon that foundation that is not sure. That, that foundation that is not firm and secure. Well, let's take for example the airline pilot. He, uh, he knows that the slightest drift from his course would be dangerous. And the slightest drift would be very quickly come a, a serious miscalculation the further out he goes. And I tried to uh, Google something to kind of picture that for you here. I'm not giving you a, a, a geometry teaching here, but uh, but if you go off, if you ever watch the, the Weather Channel and why planes crash, uh, they thought they were going this way, but they didn't, and they were off course, and they ran into a mountain. Well, you know, you, you got to know where you're going, and you got to know that you're going in the right direction and you have to get that that straight a theologian somebody who who studies God's word his idea of sin may have only a slight error seemingly innocent but that's enough to cause his thinking to be slightly off and if he starts off with his thinking a little in error as his system in thinking develops and it's carried out it goes further and far, farther and farther I'm sorry from truth so you can see that one error leads to another and it can go on and on and it continue on and out maybe look at it this way a theologian uh, Somebody studying the Word of God. He conceives an idea. He clings to his idea. He reads a verse or two in the Bible. He, he puts that together with a couple other verses somewhere else. And he puts this all together. And he conceives an idea. And uh, he clings to it tenaciously. This is my idea. 
And this is why I believe this way. And he almost loves that idea better than truth itself. Because it's a child of his own thinking. Of his own brain. And then pretty soon, he reads something else. And he finds out that his brainchild is not in harmony with accepted, established doctrines of truth itself. Alright? Now instead of carefully scrutinizing his own theory with a suspicious eye and looking it all over where the trouble might be, he reconstructs other connecting doctrines in order that they might be consistent with what he started out with, his brainchild. You understand what I'm saying? He twists this over here to match this over here and somehow that just doesn't form together. Has this happened? Yes, it has. Is it happening today? Yes, it is. And that's why we need to be careful. That's why we need to be careful. Well, that's a Bible study. I love Bible studies. Just as much or more than some people. But you, you need to be careful what, what you're looking at and what, what you're saying and what you're reading. And we need to be, as Paul instructed Timothy, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, one large or rather large group of believers today hold on to the idea that, stated simply, the exact number who will be saved and lost is irrevocably fixed and predetermined by God solely on the basis of his own desire and decree. And I think I've got it on there. Nope. The plan, or this plan of unconditional salvation, uh, the theologian labels grace and proclaims that we're saved by grace alone without any effort or condition on our part whatsoever. And we have no ability to counteract it by a personal, independent choice of our own. And we can see already that uh, uh, two believers, because he calls it grace, two believers standing side by side, and they hear one word grace, it could mean something different to each one. Now, what's happened here is that he has freed the individual from all personal responsibility for his ultimate salvation and placed the whole thing on God. And this forces him, this forces him to take the next step and say that once a man is regenerated or born again, he can never afterward forfeit that salvation and be lost. Because if we're saved by grace alone and what we do is not a determining factor at all then of course what we do after we've been saved can't possibly change our status the next step you see the the next step that naturally has to come but then he has a problem because he knows that some people that has been converted have fallen into sin or gross sin. So how can he logically keep them in the kingdom in spite of their sin? 
And I want to, to throw out a couple of uh, terms here, but I want, I'm going to, don't, don't check out on me. I, I want you to, I'm going to explain them. And he solved the problem with his satisfaction theory of the atonement. The doctrine of imputed righteousness. Now this means, imputed righteousness, that Christ so represented us that his righteousness is accounted as ours, as though we ourselves had been perfectly obedient and righteous. And righteous. Imputed righteousness teaches that we are still sinful at heart after becoming Christians, but God the Father ignores our sin because of our faith in Jesus. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus instead of our sin. Now, we, we as Wesleyans, we as Wesleyans believe in this up to a certain point. But that's not where it stops. And for too many people, that is exactly where it stops. It doesn't, we believe as Wesleyans that it doesn't stop there. We believe in, in something called uh, uh, imparted righteousness. Uh, but imputed righteousness teaches that we're still sinful at heart. That's, that's where we might diverge on that point. But the rest of us, rest of that, we agree with that. And that's what we, we might call, in better terms, justification. That, that on a legal standing, Christ has, is representing us in front of God the Father. And when He looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus instead of our sin. Now we believe the next step is imparted righteousness. And imparted righteousness teaches that we are acceptable to the Father because the blood of Jesus has really made us pure and has changed us inside. We're holy in God's sight because Jesus has genuinely made us so. That, that this is our movement with the Holy Spirit unto something we call sanctification. Set apart for Him. Here's a contrast between the two. Now I want you to understand the Nazarenes and, and John Wesley uh, embraced both imputed and imparted. So when we look at a contrast, imparted righteousness changes the individual so as to make him righteous. Imputed righteousness just changes the man's legal standing with God. Imparted righteousness is the man's own experience Imputed righteousness is God's experience of righteousness placed to the account of the sinner as if it were his. And the big verse of Scripture having to deal with all of this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. His divine power has given us everything we need. He's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these... He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Through imparted righteousness, believers become partakers of the divine nature. 
Now, both Armenians or Wesleyans or Nazarenes and Calvinists agree. And we'll agree on, on these points and there's, there are more. We, we all agree that man is very far gone from original righteousness. We agree that man is separated from God and subject to God's just wrath by reason of his sin and that the, that the atonement made by Christ was provided to remedy the situation. The issue is, the issue is, was the atonement on the cross and the rising of Jesus and the empty tomb brought to change the nature of sin and thus save the man in his sin? Or was it brought to change the nature of man and save him by separating him from his sin? And there is a huge difference there. There's a huge difference there. Sin is the cause. Death is the result. I want to look at some verses. I think I have them on here. Yes. In the King James Version. Sin is the cause. Death is the result. Um, Genesis 2. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Ezekiel 18. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 7. But sin worketh, working death in me. Uh, Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then James 1, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Now, we quickly say that God's method of having us escape death is by removing the cause, right? From the heart and the life of the individual. We remove the cause. Now remember, sin is the cause. Death is the result. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Have I got this? Yeah. The Apostle Paul wants us to clearly understand that our call, our invitation, is one that is initially or is initiated directly by the Lord alone. It's initiated by the Lord alone. Why is that important? Well, the Lord calls us out of darkness. I don't know how to make this point any more concise. So I'll leave it up there for a minute if you're taking notes. <clears throat> the, Lord, the Lord calls us out of darkness and out of a life of sin. I cannot continue to say, well, I sin, I sin, I sin. No. He who continues to sin is not of God. That's what we read from John. It's the Lord who initiates a connection. Right? Through the power and presence of what? His Holy Spirit. The Lord initiates a connection through the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Lord who rescues and saves and restores us into His image. We cannot be restored into His image and still think we sin. So we, we have to be in a position where we're looking at 1 John 1, 9. If we sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. If we, if we confess, right? If we confess that sin. Jesus shared with Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now Jesus did His best. He tried to make it clear that it's not being reborn physically because that's a... That's a the first thing Nicodemus asked, do I enter again into my mother's womb to be born again? No, no, no. Jesus tried to make that clear. That we're born from above. We're born spiritually. Through those verses in John chapter 3. The new birth is not being born again physically, but being born from above through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And being born of the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace, pure and simple. So from Abraham to Nicodemus to the Apostle Paul, we're to understand this fundamental fact, we are all saved by grace. And our salvation is not dependent, our salvation is not dependent upon our pedigree, it's not dependent upon our heritage or how well we obey the law or anything else. Right? Abram's call. This is uh, interesting and it's in my head because of Wednesday night Bible study and Larry in, in Genesis. and came hundreds of year be years before Moses. The Ten Commandments. Abram's call. He knew nothing about the Ten Commandments. Or a code of holiness. He knew nothing about the covenant of circumcision. When God invited him into a covenant relationship. Abraham was pure and simple. A pagan. Whom God reached out to rescue, redeem, and restore. So what are we supposed to make out of all this? Well... God brings us through this. God brings us into His family, into a covenant with Him, even when we're full of sin and are in a state of rebellion, and He calls us out of a life of sin. Get up from where you are and go, is what He said to Abraham, Abram. Right? Get up out of your life of sin and move into a life free from sin. And that's what the cross and the empty tomb is all about. Free from sin. None of us are justified, regenerated, or born again, or even sanctified by anything we've ever done, no matter what it might be. We can't earn it. We can't do it. Our salvation, our new birth, is from above. Like Jesus talked to Nicodemus about it's from above. The wind blows where it wants to. And that's the Spirit. Jesus said that's the way the Spirit is. John chapter 3. The wind blows. That's the Spirit. So our, our new birth comes from above. It comes from the love and the grace 
of God's own heart. And our spiritual journey continues in our own personal faith in Him. Sin has been defeated and a life free from sin is available to all. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise for all that you do and how that you bless and how that you, you, you lead us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given so very, very precious promises, so many great and precious promises. As the song we sang when we opened, you indeed are our lighthouse. And you, you carry us safely through the storms of life. And you bring us safe to shore. We're thankful, Lord, that you are there with us and that you join us in our struggles. And we give you the glory and the praise for all of that. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said... Thank you.